And then we're going to read um, the fifth commandment, verse 12. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once again and ask God's blessing on his words preached? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word Our prayer has been that you would show us wondrous things out of your law. Lord Jesus, you're our king and our prophet. And so we pray with kingly power that you would teach to us the word that we might be changed by it today. May it come clearly from your lips. So we pray this our Savior, because we need you. Amen. Well, the Ten Commandments are divided really into two sections. The first four concern our duty to God. Our last six concern our duty to man. Jesus summarized the law this way, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's just summarizing the two tables of the law, love for God and love for man. And so we get to the fifth commandment this morning, and the fifth commandment is directing our attention to this question. How do you live under authority? The laws of physics tell us that nature abhors a vacuum. Well, power abhors a vacuum too. When you look at the politics of world history, there has never been a structureless society. There have been attempts to make one. Utopian societies where everyone is equal and rules equally, they just don't work. And eventually, they stratify over authority subject lines. When a coup erupts, no one ever leaves the country without some type of authority and structure in place. Someone will step in and take authority to themselves. Even attempts to disseminate power, communism, didn't work. It only greased the wheels to make the power hungry, able to consolidate power to themselves. To live with power and under someone else's power, to live in a world where power dynamics are in play, is what it means to be human. You cannot escape power dynamics. You are always on one end of the spectrum or the other. You are either one who has power or you're having to live with someone who has power over you. And most of us, in fact, probably all of us exist somewhere in between, both having some power to exert and having to live under the authority of the other. But here's the rub. Here's where it gets difficult. It's been said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely because we are all 
inherently power-hungry people. We're people who want the world to bend to our own whimsical desires. From the first sin of Adam to grab power from God, we have all followed in our Father's footsteps and joined the kingdom of darkness to hoard power to ourselves because power means control, influence, and affluence. Doesn't take long to get to a child's first word is often mother, mama. And the second word is usually mine. We are rebels who demand that the world bend itself around the orbit of me. And that creates tension in our humanity because we were created to live under the rule of someone else. That's what it means to be fully human. One of the things that we've said about the commands is that it is God's template for human flourishing. Both times the law is given from a mountain, first here in Exodus 20 at Sinai, and then in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, both are templates for human flourishing, what it means to be fully human, created in the image of God, is that we were meant to be ruled because we are created in the image of the God who is the king. He is the ruler of all creation. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, all of creation. There's no part of it that God does not put his fingers on and say, this belongs to me. I am the king for kingships. Psalm 22, 28, one of the most repeated psalms in the New Testament. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. The king rules. Scout the hairs on your head numbered. Nothing happens apart from his will. Paul in Acts 17, as he's giving a sermon, even makes the point that God has set the boundaries and times for every nation. Every nation has risen and fallen because God has commanded it to be so. He is the ruler, the authoritative ruler over the nations rising and falling. And when you roll dice, even the minutia like rolling dice is in the hands of the Lord. Proverbs 16 33, as the creator, he has absolute authority, rules over all creation. He is involved with everything. This is his realm, and you are created in his image, which means to flourish, you have to live under authority. And one of the ways that he exerts his rule over creation is by building authority structures into our lives. The call to honor our mother and father is usually seen as a sort of cliff notes version of what it means to live under authority. What God's doing in the command is We've said before, the commands themselves are like hyperlinks for their understanding the rest of the Bible. 
click on it, it'll take you much deeper. And the reason God is saying honor your mother and father is because he's taking the most intimate and most familiar relationships that we have, the most familiar authority structure, and he says, give honor to them. But really what he's saying is, all authority belongs to me, and I've given it to people to rule over you. They deserve your honor. Parents, teachers, bosses, government officials, school administrators, police officers, whoever is in a place of authority is deserving of your honor because they are from Romans chapter 13, God's servants ruling over you. And there really are really four primary authority structures in our lives. Employer, We all submit to an employer, most of us, unless you own your own business, submit to an employer, family relationships, the government, and the church. We all have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have those four authority structures over you. And the fifth commandment is telling us that because God has built these authority structures into our world to rebel against them is utterly destructive to our humanity. That's what the promise attached to this command means. Honor your mother and father. And as Paul reminds us, this is the one command that is also has a promise attached to it. And here's why. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That it may go well with you. Authority structures are the way of God's ordering society so that we can prosper. But we live in a culture that has made the breaking of the fifth commandment a badge of honor, sophistication, and strength. We idolize characters like, depending on your generation, James Dean or Clint Eastwood or Kanye West who rebel and we honor them. Go their own way, make their own pattern in life, kick off those who might tell them what to do. We are a nation who was born out of a revolution and who still highly values the revolutionary. From Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way to Apple's 1984 famous Super Bowl revolution ad to the Beatles revolution, we have made the questioning of authorities one of the highest goods. Rebellion and authority casting off mark of sophistication. That's a problem. But the problem is born not in our culture, but from the heart of rebels like us. We've just enculturated what our hearts most deeply value. The, The problem isn't out there, it is in here, because sin is more than just something that we do, as we often say. It is a power that is in work in us, and it has changed us. If you want to know what the core of sin is, it is rebellion. Mine. My way. Not yours. Satan in the garden tempted Adam and Eve to throw off God's rule and create a kingdom themselves where they could rule themselves and have their own wisdom and determine by themselves what is good and evil and their fall into sin has planted that core seed of rebellion in our hearts. None of us 
none of us respond well to authority because we're all born of our rebellious father, Adam. And you can't think a lot of yourself and be submissive at the same time. And so here's what we need before we'll ever be able to keep this command. We need the old man of rebellion to be killed so we can walk in the new ways of Jesus by his spirit. The spirit of adoption that teaches us to be children because that's what we've become in Christ. We need God the Son to kill the old rebellious seed of Adam in us. The cross must make us rebels against our rebellion. See, rebellion against God's authority provokes his wrath. Did you catch this? It should have made you shudder. It's made me shudder so many times this week as I've, I've read it because as my wife and anyone close to me will tell you, I do not do well when being told what to do. And here's the warning of Romans 13. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Three times it's said in Romans 13 that God's wrath is provoked by rebellion against authorities. In God's law, a rebellious child was not just a criminal offense, it was a capital offense worthy of death. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Exodus 21.15, just a chapter later. You see what happens is rebellion promises freedom, but imprisons us under God's wrath. And this is where the gospel is just utterly amazing. God sent his son into a rebellious world, not to judge the world, but to bear the rebel's death in order to turn rebellion on its head by making obedient children who rested under the Father's favor. When Jesus came into the world, he came as a submissive servant. He who created all things, who laid out this law, submitted himself to it. He born under the law. He honored his father's wishes by submitting to him, even to death, even to death on the cross. The cross itself was designed by Rome to shame rebels. It was the most gruesome form of punishment that they could imagine, designed with one goal in mind. If you want to rebel, look at what will happen to you. And so the obedient son died as a rebel so that rebels could be counted as obedient sons. In his obedience to the father, he earned the promised blessing. Honor your father and mother and it will go well with you in the land. It was Jesus's food to do the will of his father. He delighted to submit himself. Imagine this to his mother The woman he created, he submitted himself to 
when she said, clean up your room. He didn't look back at her and say, do you know who I am? Yes, ma'am, I will. Eat your vegetables. Yes, ma'am, I will. From his first miracle, which happened because of his mother's request, even though it was not his time, he honored his mother and turned water into wine at Cana because his mom asked him to, to his dying breath where he asked John to take his mother into his house. Jesus was laser-focused in bringing honor to his mother. He kept the fifth commandment. Here's the promise, and it will go well with you in the land. And this is what the Father rewarded him with. He rewarded him with a kingdom. And for all eternity, it will go well with him as he dwells in the new heavens and the new earth with everything ordered properly around him. He has inherited the nations. All the Father has is now his. It has gone and continues to go well with him in the land. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And here's the gospel. He died the rebel's death. So rebels could be counted as obedient sons. Jesus gets what I deserve. But because I'm in him, I get what he deserves. And when I put my faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, I am rebelling against my rebellion by submitting myself to him as the only king. You may not yet be a Christian. Here's the step it's going to take. I'm going to put down my rebellion and I'm going to take you as my king. There is no better king. He's a much better king over your life than you are over your own. And so with the gospel in our hands, we must continue, though, to rebel against our rebellion. That means that our lives have to take the shape of service and submission. Now, Submission is the kind of word that often makes the hair on the back of your head stick up just a little bit. But you see, in, in the incarnation of Jesus, when he took on our flesh and, and children, incarnation is just a big theological word that means, that means putting on skin. When God the Son put on skin and made himself, became a human, he made submission beautiful. He made it a glorious thing because the Father sent him on a mission to become a man like us, vulnerable, tempted, beaten, to die for sins. Jesus submitted to his Father with joy, and so he is in his kingdom. This is, the world may say to you, submit to no one. It's a sign of weakness. The kingdom of God is flipped on its head. And he says, no, submission is the place of glory. Now the kingdom created by Jesus is worked through the incarnation and on the cross who submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him is an upside down kingdom where the last shall be first and the first shall be last. A, com- a kingdom where ambition is now downwards. Where we now say to the king, cross me. Do Confront me. Tell me what to do. I'm at your disposal. You own me. I'm your slave, your servant. 
The lowly are exalted. The meek are the ones who inherit the earth. That changes the way we think about ourselves and live our lives in relation to all who have authority over us. See, in the, in the Roman world, there were two classes of people. The Roman citizen and the slave. Those were the opposite ends of the spectrum. And yet, when the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen by birth and had extraordinary rights refers to himself, he refers to himself as a slave in Christ. What was once, you see, a word of derision and scorn has become for him a title of glory and honor. The cross freed him. I'm a son, now I'm a slave. Because I'm a son, I'm a slave. I'm glad to be like him. And so now in light of the gospel, the fifth commandment calls us to submit to the authorities that God has put over us and serve as those enslaved to Jesus Christ over whom he has authority. Here's a succinct definition of authority. Authority is the authorization for the appropriate use of power. Romans 13, we're commanded to be subject to every governing authority because every authority, those who have been authorized to exert power, every authority is from God. Now back, we all exist in relationships of employers, government, work, or sorry, government, home. This is where we go, church. And so the fifth commandment is calling us to honor with joy, those that God has put over us. To honor means, in the, in the Hebrew, means to give glory to, to be treated with weight and significance. They are worthy of our affection. We should treat them as glorious ones. So government. God has appointed the government to promote good and punish evil. That's its role in the world. Perhaps next time you're speeding, since we have troopers in our congregation, next time you're caught speeding and they say, do you know why I pulled you over? Yes, I was speeding. Thank you for doing your job and catching me. The mayor of our cities, your elected officials, you may not like their politics. You are free to disagree with them, but they deserve your honor. When Paul wrote the letter of Romans, when he says, give honor to the emperor, Nero was the emperor. At 14, Nero took the throne after his mother had poisoned his predecessor. He married his stepsister. And by the time Paul wrote, Nero had already taken a mistress and probably had killed his own mother in order to protect his throne. Now, Paul can write that Nero is worthy of the Roman Christian's honor because he has been put in place by God as his servant than certainly any democratically elected president current or past, regardless of whether you agree with him, deserves your honor. You may not like his politics, but you may not mock him, slander him, 
pass around emails that may or may not be true, degrading jokes to dishonor him. Look, if God has honored you as a rebel by making you a son, then you have plenty of honor now to dish out to those that you disagree with. Live as people who are free, Peter writes. Now by this time, Peter is writing also under Nero's reign. But this time, later in Nero's reign, Nero has been killing Christians by lighting them on fire in his garden so he can see at night or crucifying them. Feeding them to wild animals after wrapping them in blood. Live as free people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Second place, avenue, sphere of living under the authority is in God's church. This is one of the reasons that church membership is really valued in the scriptures. There's no such thing as an autonomous Christian That's an oxymoron. You can't be self-ruling and a Christian at the same time. So the question becomes, who are you submitting to as your leaders? Hebrews 13, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of No advantage to you. You should just ask yourself, who are my leaders? If you've covenanted with us and joined our church, your leaders are the elders that God has put over you. You may be a Christian who's visiting with us today, not yet found a church home. Find a church home and submit yourself to the leaders there, for they keep watch over your soul. The other place that this plays out so frequently in the Old Testament law is employer-employee relations. So much of the Old Testament law is dedicated to leveling power dynamics, particularly for the weak. And so in the ancient world, that was often slave owner relationship. Well, the way you got into slavery in the Old Testament was you got into debt. You couldn't pay it off. So you went to work for somebody. That was, that was what it was like to be a slave. I'm giving you my, my, I'm freely giving you my responsibility and my work to pay off the debt that I owe you. And so much of the Old Testament law is saying to employers, don't overwork your slaves. Don't overwork your employees. Pay them fairly. Let them get out of debt. You're in a position if you are an employer who has people under you, supervisor, manager. Your primary job is not to make a buck, but to serve God faithfully by working so that those under you flourish in their career. Your success, position, and power are not by your cunning or sweat. This is what is clear. God has put you over them. Don't pat yourself on the back for what you've achieved. Humbly say, Lord Jesus, you've put me in this place. I don't deserve it. Teach me how to serve so they can prosper under my care. Lastly, home, children, honor your parents. 
and do so with joy. Remember, this command has a promise. It will go well with you in the land, but also the promise comes with a warning to dishonor them provokes God's wrath. When you're struggling to obey and even struggling more to honor, remember, the Lord Jesus can produce this in you. He knows what it's like to be a teenager and listen to his mother. He can help you honor her in your heart. He has given you his spirit who is greater than the rebellion that Adam gave you. And so while it is hard, you can ask him to forgive and he will and then ask him for help and he will give it to you. Wives, submit to your husband out of love and reverence for Christ. Jesus has made submission a great act of worth. It's not belittling to take that position. It is exalting. God will exalt you. When God made a wife for Adam, he took him out of her rib. She is his equal. You are your husband's equal. But God has given you the honor of submitting to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church using all of his authority not to simply demand that things be done his way but to exert so that his wife could prosper so that we could prosper poured himself out that's how he used his authority remember that any authority you have in the household over your wives and children is given you may not abuse it If you're living with a husband who is abusing you, he has overstepped the authority God has given him, flee for help. Finally, in your roles as fathers, let me remind you again where Paul takes us just for a second. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't use your authority just to Make them do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. Do not provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A heavy-handed authoritarian father will provoke his children to rebellion. But the father who nurtures by disciplining them in love while instructing them in the truth of the gospel will find their children eventually growing in love for the Lord you got to cross your kids. That's what it means to be a father. But cross them in love and bring them back to the gospel. Lastly, this table is necessary for us. Because there's still so much rebellion in our hearts. Rebellion that could only be overcome if Christ died. But because he died, he has set this table so that rebels could come and eat with him in love. We need to feed on Christ at this table so that we can be set out to live lives of honoring mothers and fathers who live all over our lives. For apart from this table, you can do nothing. But at this table, the Son 
feeds us. Let me pray. Father, as uh, we, we confess this, left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves in rebellion. So subdue us again and again and again. Oh, we praise you that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, rebels who hated you, Christ died for us so that we could become sons of the living God. Now help us to live out our sonship in obedience and honor to those you put over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.